I'm seeing the top 1% of sales talent that have for years been contemplating about whether or not they want to go start their own business, making themselves the business of me incorporated, taking their skill set, all their career capital and years of relationships with customers and going to employers and saying, I'm not going to work for you, but I'll do it on my terms. I'll represent your product. I've already got the audience. I've already got the attention of the customers that you want to have. And oh, by the way, I can get you a meeting today with three customers that could fundamentally change the value of your business. Do you want me to introduce you? If yes, here's what it costs. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm Amy Rehovchek, and that was Nigel Green. Nigel is a leading authority on building sales teams. He's the author of Revenue Harvest, host of the Revenue Harvest podcast. Nigel helps managers become indispensable C-suite executives. In this episode, Nigel challenges us to rethink how we bring our skills, our sales skills and contacts to market. We ask questions like, how will you measure your life? And we dig into this idea of a company of one. But before we get to Nigel, I wanted to remind you that I'm thankful you press play, friend. I know you've got a ton of options and I will absolutely try not to let you down. I'm Amy Rahovchek. This is the Revenue Rail Hotline. Enjoy. Nigel Green, welcome to the Revenue Rail Hotline, sir. I am pretty fucking excited about this conversation and where it's going to go, but just right off the bat, I appreciate you. Thank you for making time for us. Wouldn't miss it, Amy. All right, Nigel. So why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do on a regular basis, and then we'll dive right in. Yeah, so I am someone that doesn't let my work get in the way of play. Uh, And if you want to go read more about that, you can see on LinkedIn where I quit the corporate world. I was a very young and by most market indicators, successful sales leader. I was leading a large sales team for a publicly traded hospital company at the age of 31. But because I don't let work get in the way of my play, I realized that what I was working on was working on me in ways that were going to soon be uncorrectable if I didn't make a quick change. So I quit the commercial management world and started doing what I really love, which is teaching other sales leaders how to manage that pull between familial commitments, personal commitments, and doing the work it takes to be successful at leading a sales team. I live on a farm in the middle of nowhere, Kentucky. In 2019, I wrote a book called Revenue Harvest. Mm, which we're definitely going to talk about. Oh, and the tornado. How are things? So listeners, Nigel is in Tennessee, right, Nigel? Kentucky. And there was a Kentucky. That's right. That's right. And so there was just a, I'm remembering the article that your wife wrote for, was it wasn't business inside, but Huffington, Huffington Post. Post. That's Post. right. That's right. About the tornado. How's everything going there with the community and all that stuff? You know, so it happened on uh, December the 10th mm-hmm. and the community is, rebounding in, in profound ways. I mean, the land uh, still looks like a war zone, but uh, people, it's resilient how small towns can just take care of themselves. The farmers uh, just started building things back up and cleaning it up on their own. And yeah, so thank you for asking. The town is coming back together. The Art of Community, I'm holding up the book now. It's changing how I've thought about community. And so I'm gonna expand that statement to from small town to any group of people that's kind of comes together over something. And it's pretty life-changing too, that experience. But I brought it up listeners because it's very easy to just read these news stories about like crazy shit like that, that happens. But 
there are human beings behind it, which leads us into the topic of the episode, Nigel, the conversation for today to hack up our own hack up. (laughs) That sounds kind of gross to level up or beef up our own courage when it comes to the career decisions ahead of us right now. And you made reference to a trajectory that you had been on career-wise and, and course corrected. We were just talking right before the, the episode started about how we as sellers could do a lot better at tolerating less bad behavior, I guess you could say. Why don't you expand for our listeners what you meant by that? And why is this moment in time so magical as you see it? So I had said to you, I think that we were living in a time that I've never experienced in my 15 years of working in and around sales teams. There is undeniably more demand for sales talent than there is supply. For those of you that are listening that want to get into sales, uh, I am seeing companies pay what feels like a ridiculous amount of money to an individual that has no proven documented track record, or there's any ounce of fidelity that they're actually going to be able to deliver success in the role, which doesn't mean that they don't deliver success in the role. Uh, It just has been the normal practice that you use past experience as a future predictor of success. And that's what, yeah. And that's where the comp model comes from. So if you're considering getting into sales, there's never been a better time. And if you happen to be one of those rare sellers It's really good at what you do. Lean in to what I'm about to tell you. You should stop tolerating the normal paradigm. And this is not a SaaS thing. It's not an industry specific thing. I'm seeing the top 1% of sales talent that have for years been contemplating about whether or not they want to go start their own business, but they don't know enough about being a CEO or they're scared of the risk making themselves a business, the business of me incorporated, taking their skill set, all their career capital and years of relationships with customers and going to employers and saying, I'm not going to work for you, but I'll do it on my terms. I'll represent your product. I've already got the audience. I've already got the attention of the customers that you want to have. And oh, by the way, I can get you a meeting today. The salespeople that you're going to hire with no experience, you got to train them how to sell. You got to train them on the industry. You got to train them on the product. You got to train them on the tech. Six months before they break even on themselves. I can go and in a week. We can have a meeting with three customers that could fundamentally change the value of your business. Do you want me to introduce you? If yes, here's what it costs. So don't tolerate the normal business as usual because I know individuals that are making seven figures a year. And they're indies, they're independents, they're just representing a small, discrete set of products that happen to be very complementary. They complement in a couple of ways. The products complement each other, they complement the customer, and they complement the years of selling history that you've built up. And it makes you really valuable in today's market. Hmm. Okay. So this is why listeners, this is why Nigel and I are friends, right? Cause I'm actually physically, we were just talking about my website and like what, what I'm working on and trying to make those decisions. So I'm saying all this as someone that is trying to sum up my own courage and to do these things. However, Nigel, I want to push back on something that you said before we get all warm and fuzzy on all the things we agree on. And that is that this, the talent is a scarce thing. And what I mean by that is 
we've been burning through human beings as a profession, right? For many, many, many years now. And we're talking about to underperformers and top performers alike. We have been looking at those lookalike models. And so we've been celebrating the extrovert and like the natural seller and, and almost making these spaces that it, it's very <laughs> difficult to succeed on your own, if you're following what I'm saying. But there are, to your point, rare, exceptional people who do. However, I think that we'd have a like a, a lot more people and a lot more revenue and a lot more waste, right? Turnover, um, churn, whatever. If we let go of this idea that talent is a scarce, thing and maybe leaned in a little bit harder on let me build up the human beings on our team as humans and then also like coach them up to be better revenue revenue humans and so I guess what I'm trying to say is I think to make a statement like that a blanket statement that like that is a little bit misleading because it does not leave room for all the room that we can all the improvement that we have to make as sales leaders around how the business of sales operates does that make sense? Did that make sense? Yeah. All I'm saying is that the data, it's not my data. I'm, let the data be the bad person here. The data shows there are more open sales positions right now than there are people willing to do them. There it is. Okay. I love that. All right. So well, let's talk about that then. Why, why do you think that is? Like, and let's, let's just assume that there's a lot of people that know that they have some clout right now, sellers, right? And you have those options. But I mean, I myself am still like, I, I don't, I know what's down that road. Like I know how you, you've you been, like I, I sold for a long time. Like I, I the well, so there's a couple dynamics at play, right? So you have to look on I mean, the larger capital markets are driving uh, some of this, right? There's, there's this growth requirement that private equity and public traded equities are looking for. There's so much money that they're throwing at companies to grow on the revenue side and demand gen that they have created the need for more selling capacity. They're trying to grow. So they want to double their business or they want to grow about 50% this year. They need to create more revenue, which means they have have more bodies to do that, more FTE. So we should have more activity and without looking at effectiveness at all? No, no, no. They're saying if we want to, they're, they're being they're being prudent and they're being smart by saying in order to grow the business, we need more revenue. And we can't just say, let's go demand more from the existing team. We actually need more selling capacity, which means we need more humans to do the job. So I, let's I'm, go hire more people. I'm with you there. But what I'm pushing back on is I'm not convinced that the companies that are hiring more people to bring in more revenue have done the hard work of addressing the, the root cause problems as to why people have been leaving in the first place. Let's get to that. So that I've said that there are a couple of factors. The first factor is just on its own. They need more salespeople. They just need it because they want to grow the business. It's, it's all about, we have to have more selling capacity if we're going to grow it. Now that's one issue. Now I'm not downplaying or neglecting or ignoring the reality that they haven't been a very good steward of the people that they have, especially during the pandemic. Okay. So what the pandemic has done for a lot of people is, is has forced us all to get really clear about the things that really matter to us, like time away from work, where we live, 
how many hours we're going to work, who we work for. We've all recognized that life is precious and fragile and our priority list has shifted. There's no one listening to this that that doesn't relate to. Companies have done a real poor job of meeting their people, specifically for this conversation, meeting their sellers where they are. And that has done nothing but compound the problem that I talked about in the first point, which is that they need more people. And you would think if they needed more people, they may treat the ones that they have better. And I'm with you. Not all of them have done a good job of that. So like, okay, so I got an email from RepView, right? The other day. So RepView listeners for, I mean, if you, if you don't know what RepView is, like I, I, there's bigger fish to fry there, but that was this first episode for this show was with the CEO of RepView. It's like glass door for sales, doing the Lord's work, right? Injecting tons of transparency, understanding that the factors that are important to sellers about the role are, are unique for this, for this role in particular. But anyway, RepView got an email, Nigel, and one of the companies that was on, it was like the top 10 companies. One of them, it was a company, Relativity, and I'm staring at it and I'm looking at the logo and I'm like, that sounds so familiar, right? So familiar, Relativity, Relativity, Relativity. And I realized it's an e-discovery company, right? So I sold into legal. I had the nickname, the law firm Whisperer with C-level at a big company that was acquired pl platform as a service is my house, right? Is it in the, even on the data side and one of the, let's call it, notches in your bedpost that I have not earned as a seller is that seven figure earner club. And so for me, like I'm trying to make the decisions now, just like all of us. Right. And I'm not, I want, I want to build a lifestyle now from this point out, right. I'm not making career choices or money choices for anything other than, okay, what is the type of life that I want to lead? Who do I want to help? How do I want to handle my free time, whatever. And for me, the mental component of selling, I remember the pain. Like I remember how hard it is for me in particular. And I know I'm not alone, right? But I've got a neurodivergent brain. It's not very well understood by most people. And I'm hypersensitive, right? So things just feel differently for me. Not in a good or bad way. That's just the way that it is. And so, but anyway, relativity... Do I stay the course with the show, with the book promotion stuff or whatever? Or do I look at hitting that seven-figure earner club, right? Knowing what I know about how to sell, how I'm able to hit targets and hit goals. And I, I don't know. I don't have these information. And I'm doing a terrible job because I'm bouncing back and forth every day between like which, which direction to go with. But like if, if you were speaking to someone that's listening that may be in the same boat that I'm in right now. How would you help them to think through how to make the decisions about this moment in time? Oh, I love that. So I would suggest you read a book called How Will You Measure Your Life by Clay Christensen. I read it. That was the start of HBR's on yeah. managing yourself. So, it's one of their must reads. Okay, but I'll continue. I so fucking I, love it. I've read it two times. I'm on my third time reading it. And mm -hmm. each time, and, and so I'm going to have to buy another copy because now I'm I, I've underlined the first time everything I underlined in black. And I said, I'm, I'm going to read this again. And I noticed I'm underlining different things this time that are hitting me differently. So I said, I'm going to do it in blue. And now I'm doing it in red. Well, anyway, all that to say, I, I'm going to keep, I'm going to keep reading that. But if you're listening to this book or listening to me, you got to go read this book because what, what it, what it's going to help you make sense of is 
what's really, what do you want to do? I have been there. I've done the seven figure deal before. And when I said it was working on me in ways I wasn't going to be able to correct, I do not want to live in that world. I just don't care. Mm -hmm. So I'm leaving a ton of money on the table Mm -hmm. to work 30 hours a week, never work a Friday. And now I don't work in November and December. But you can't do that until you decide what's really important to you. And you come to terms with really hard questions around what role does workplace significance really play in my life? If If I were to flash forward 25 years from now, who that I'm working with now is going to show up for me when I really need them. And you just do an audit, you do an inventory because I'm spending more time with them than I am with my kids, with my wife, with my friends. I'm spending more time in Slack and on reports than I am doing the things I care about and we're going to die. So what are you going to do before you die? You got to ask yourself, what does it really mean to me to be a seven figure earner? Is it about the money or is it about a notch on the bedpost? Like what's it really about? And come up with your own scorecard for how you're going to measure your life. And I know for me, um, I have that scorecard and money plays an important role because it allows me to go pursue the things that I want. But for everyone, there's a number that's enough. And you just got to know what your number is. And for a lot of people listening, it's probably a lot less than seven figures a year. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That was so fucking good. So I second about this book. I didn't realize that this was a full book. I thought I only read the essay portion of it. That was the, it was the first essay in HBR's on managing yourself. It's one of their top 10 must reads. And I agree with you. It is so powerful. It is so powerful. And spoiler alert listeners, the answer is relationships, right? It's the people it's about the people. It's about the people we help. Nigel, for me personally, I want to start a, a fund, right? So this whole economic participation, right? And gender, 98% of venture capital last year went to mostly white men. We're moving backwards. In, in, in Europe, it was worse. It was 99%. And so marry that with the knowledge that we are living in the greatest period of wealth creation the world has ever known because of all the startups and the tech or whatever. Most people are barred from even putting a game piece on the board. And so doing a fund, doing my own fund in like five years, that's, that's for me. And so I'm thinking of like the fastest path, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to make smart decisions with my day though. And I, I think weekend month and whatever and work on tasks, but, but that was brilliant. What about you? So I, you're the only way you're going to win the game is if you play your game and playing your game means that, you know, the rules you've written them down and that you've got a very clear scoreboard. Like, I don't know much about rugby and, but I know that they have hookers. When I hear the word hooker, I don't think of rugby. Right. And if you don't know what a par or a bogey is, you're not going to be very good at golf. And there are a lot of people doing life and they, they haven't created a scoreboard. They don't know how to read their own scoreboard and they don't have rules for their own game. They're playing somebody else's game. And I promise you, you will lose every single time because you don't know what the inputs are. You don't know how to score. And then when you do score, you don't know whether that was enough or if it was good or if it was bad. And so you've got to play your own game and, and playing your own game means that you know the rule book, you know the terms, and you have a scoreboard in front of you that you look at all the time and you keep score. All right. So scoreboard, what is your scoreboard for the podcast? 
not what listeners. Nigel has a Nigel. Remind me of the podcast name. I'm so sorry, it's not written down in front of me. Right my my podcast is Revenue Harvest. And that's it, right. That's it's, right. It's named after the book. The so book, like, what the is website, my yeah. what is what is my scorecard for that podcast? Yeah. Well, how are you measuring success right now? The extent to which I can have conversations with individuals about subjects that they can teach me something on. That's it. So I, what I found is like I can't call some of these people and say, "Hey, I want to pick your brain." about this. They're too busy, but I can call those same people and say, Hey, I have a podcast and I want you to be a guest on it. And sure. Absolutely. Wait, are you telling me that starting a podcast is a phenomenal tactic to, to start relationships with people that you don't already know? <laughs> also yeah. known as prospecting. <laughs> okay. I love it. All right. I love it. All right, Nigel, if memory serves, your book is well, first of all, listeners, Revenue Harvest is an exceptional book. It's one of the only sales or revenue-related books that I've read from the leadership perspective that covers the human aspects of growing a team, as well as the managerial aspects and the business acumen playing in the big leagues. And so, uh, Nigel, thank you. Like, I love the book. I love that you're playing with the promo of $5 each. So listeners definitely go check that one out. I believe the promo is only available on the website, right? Not Amazon. No, if you want the book, you okay. can get it for $5. Okay. You can go to therevenueharvest.com. You can get either the Kindle or iBook, whichever you prefer. And and whichever one you get, it comes with the audio book. So you can listen to my Southern Draw, read the book to you. <laughs> Or you can go buy it from Amazon. It'll be at your door tomorrow and you can pay whatever it is on Amazon. I'm an old school book person. So if you want a physical book, you can buy that and I'll sign it and send it to you. Um, but yeah, the, the best way to get it is $5 at the revenueharvest.com. Revenueharvest.com. Okay, amazing. The so what's revenueharvest.com. The Revenueharvest. Mm. Mm -hmm. I bought both domains for Revenue Real Hotline with the and then without it. And so I couldn't get that scene in Facebook. Did, did you ever see that movie where the kids in Harvard and they're whether or not to include the, the or not or whatever? This is a tangent off. To Somebody the side. else owns revenueharvest.com oh, and they, they won't sell it to me. So, so the, it is. That's a good reason too. Nigel, what's coming down the pike for you? What are your goals for this year? My goals for this year are um, the same as they have been ever since I read The Company of One by Paul Jarvis. I am going to build a business without hiring people. And so that requires me getting really clear on an upper revenue number. Scale for me is not more revenue, it's more time. So the goal for me this year is to hit a certain revenue number in as few working hours as possible. And that number needs to be fewer than last year's numbers. So that's the goal for me. And I am... About 90% of the revenue that I need committed for the next 12 months has already been committed. And that includes not working a Friday and uh, not working a day of November and December. Hmm. I've only had one year where I hit my annual goal in February, my last year selling actually the Thompson Reuters quota. Um, that's pretty baller, man. That's pretty baller. Well, I just listened to um, this guy named Mr. Money Mustache. Who's on the Tim Ferriss podcast? Okay, and it's for anyone that's wanting to know. Like, this must be nice, right? Listen to Nigel. Must be nice. He must have hit it big with a big exit and have all this money in the bank. And yeah, he was he was a big time leader in a hospital group at thirty one. Like we were still, oh, I was still oh, like yeah. you know, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, try not to must get too be. drunk the night before. 
Yeah, flushed with cash. And yes, I've, I've had a couple of exits, but I've optimized my life around enough. And so like we live on not a lot. That's why I don't live in Nashville anymore. That's why I live on a farm in Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I don't go out and have $300 dinners. You know, I go to, to the grocery store for the week and spend 300 bucks. Mm-hmm. And so I make concessions on, th- I don't buy things. So the point of that is I listen to this episode with Mr. Money Mustache and I have a new rule. I don't buy things unless it's going to make me happy. And if it's not going to make me happy, I don't buy it. And so I have a lot more money to keep, which means I don't have to work. I don't want to work. I got to go through like my checking account and all the tech tools that I've, that are on subscription now. And like, I got to, I've been avoiding doing that one, but yeah, it's hard, man. The money stuff is hard. Like it's, there's so the, the financial literacy like is low across the board. There's so much weird emotional stuff. Um, but anyway, I love it. I love what you're saying. And I love the motivation. I'm working, you know what I'm working on next? The newsletter, the email list. Where are you at with that one? Do you, are you sending those out? Am I sending emails out? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. No. Mm. We, could pra- we could practice this one together. This is supposedly a great thing. Well, that- so here, here's why. Okay. And I love, I love that. I'll just, I believe there are people that read and enjoy emails like like i'm I'm gonna i enjoy opting in and listening to what someone has to say on a subject and i believe there are people that don't i do not want an email i don't nigel i don't want damn emails either however you were the one talking about the numbers the numbers the numbers this is a way no 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 i get i get it like and so it's a it's a conversation that i have with uh my board of advisors with folks that try to give me, and, and I think there's, there's probably, I'm, again, I'm probably leaving money on the table, but I do not want to send emails because I don't want to write. I, don't want to I write love them. this. I love this new crazy world um, where we get to make these decisions, just do whatever the hell we want. Yeah. Well, I, don't want to write them either because I'm petrified of writing, even though like I'm supposedly good at it sometimes. Also, there's a learning aspect, right? For me, I have been, my skills are a little bit dusty on the cold email front. And so like, I've been avoiding that awareness. <laughs> so it's well, very easy do, to, it's funny. I don't write play cold those, emails. Play those. Like, I don't, I don't do, I don't do cold email. All of my business is inbound. 100% I'm with you, I'm with you on this inbound. one. Why the hell do you think my skills aren't there? Although I um, I think it's important though. I do think it's important, but we could talk about this offline. Nigel, thanks for playing along. You rock. I love your Ruth Bader Ginsburg picture behind you. For anybody that's listening oh. on the podcast, know that there is a notorious RVG behind Nigel and it is a beautiful thing, sir, because I know that you are an ally on that front. Well, thanks for having me. Always. Nigel, how can people find you other than the revenueharvest.com, right? Listeners go buy Nigel's book. Like I was reading about character before we got on the call. Like there's very few sales books that are as powerful as the one that Nigel wrote us. And so $5 is a steal. But anyway, Nigel, how can people find you? LinkedIn. Easy. Can't miss me. Send me a message. I'll message you back. It's real simple. <laughs> Nigel doesn't like communities. He doesn't like Slack either. <laughs> every time i'm in there waiting i was like you know i don't like this which is true i do know that but anyway nigel is also a member at the salescast community and one of our leaders over there because 
he's ahead of the curve on learning to use his voice and share stories and help people. Nigel, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners. Thank you for hanging around for the remainder of the conversation. Truth, love, and joy, friends, and happy selling. And that wraps another installment of the Revenue Reel Hotline. I'd like to thank my guest for sharing his insights with all of us. If you've liked what you've heard, tell a friend, subscribe to the show, write a review. These things go so far, and I thank you. With that, I'm Amy Rehubchek. This is the Revenue Rail Hotline. Happy selling, everybody.